0: Over on the board this morning, we hit a thousand last week, and we're only halfway through the book of Galatians. And we didn't even start the actual challenge until we were a little bit in to the book of Galatians. So, therefore, we've already hit our goal of a thousand chapters at the trajectory we are on. I'm going to go ahead and set that goal at two thousand chapters. I think we're going to meet two thousand chapters, and I think we're going to get then some. I didn't know how this was going to go, I didn't know how we would be if we would be. If we'd hit 1,000, if we'd be close to it, if we'd be just under it, I didn't know how it would go. I figured y'all could do it, but I didn't know how it'd be. And uh, y'all have just gone above and beyond, so we're just going to move the challenge up to about 2,000. But I do. We find ourselves halfway through the book of Galatians. We have covered the first three chapters. And I don't know about y'all. Sometimes I just need to pull out and take a break for a minute. Sometimes I need a freshness from another part of Scripture. Sometimes it's a challenge to be able to read another part of Scripture. And uh, I hope that this does well. We're trying to do this in every book that we find ourselves in for an extended period of time. Now if it's something like Habakkuk, we're usually going to push right through that like we did. But if it's one of these longer books, we'll try to pull out a little bit, take a breath, take a breath of the Psalms. And I don't know about y'all, but it has been well described many a times that for the Christian, prayer should be as breathing (coughs) is to life that for the Christian prayer should be as breathing is to life that has often been attributed to Spurgeon but many others have said it who knows who said it first and to me on that note of the Psalms are often crafters of our way to pray that if you would just sit here with the Psalms and, and consider the way that they speak to us and the way that they instruct us they're a way in which we would be able to pray and they Instruct us on what our prayers should look like. As a matter of fact, if you look to Psalm 17, your heading may say, as my heading does, it says, A Prayer of David. Now, it doesn't say that here on 16. It says, Victim of David. But I got to thinking this morning that as we were reading Psalm 78 with all 72 of its verses, that these often would have been set to music. And I was thinking Psalm 78 was a cantata. It was a whole show over there that you really could. You could take that one and you can arrange it. And have these multiple verses in these multiple sections. But it amazes me at the story that unfolds. And I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm big. I like to find the structure of things. I want to know what the structure of something is. It comes from, probably from being small. when I would pay attention to my father. And I would see how he fixed things. I like knowing how things work. And I have a problem with I come to Psalms. And I, I think maybe why I like them so much is the fact that it's a challenge to me. Because not every Psalm has... The structure that I want it to have, it doesn't always move in the elements that my western mind wants it to move in. I want to move from point A to point B to point C, and then sometimes you got an AA, a BB, a CC, a DD. And then sometimes you just got a psalm that is so packed with everything that you, you don't even know it all. But I, I submit to you that this psalm, what I love about it is, in Psalm 16, it moves on the basis of the emotional state of the psalmist. But the emotional state of the psalmist is rooted in the truth of the word of God. We are responsive creatures by nature. It's what we do. We respond to things. Something happened to you this morning that you responded to. Did you wake up with an alarm clock? You had to respond to it. If it's my duck's alarm that goes off at 7-11 in the morning, my Miss Tara doesn't like that alarm because it's kind of an angry alarm, but it serves the point that it wakes you up. But the problem is you might wake up with a twinge of anger, and it causes this response. If you get caught by a train, like we often do, find ourselves in, that gives me, I don't know about y'all, I have no patience for trains. I'm like, this train needs to be out of my way, it needs to be out of my way right now. I've got that level of impatience about me that it gets on my nerves. If something doesn't go the way that I want it to, it gets on my nerves. So that's the negative side of emotions, but there's also the positive side of emotions. Miss Tara has been away at camp all week. I see her name and I knew she was coming already But I see her name pop up on my phone this morning To tell me that she's on her way to the house In order to get ready for church I've been seeing her every day But all the same, she was coming home That was a joyous response Just seeing her name pop up on my phone We have all of these different triggers And we respond There have been books written on habits And different practices That we have all of these things And beloved, somehow, someway We're responding to something and likely we're responding to it with emotion. As every one of us has emotions. Man, woman, boy, girl, full adult, old age, child, whatever occasion of life, whatever phase of life, whatever season of life you find yourself in, you're responding and there's some kind of emotion that goes with it. Some of you might have more eternal, internal emotions and some of you may have more external emotions. But all the same, it is crafted in these. And beloved, that's not wrong to feel something. It's never wrong to feel something. Now sometimes we can get caught up in what I would call sensationalism to where it's just emotionally charged service. This can happen in church services. A lot of times we can pack everything emotionally into one thing to where we're trying to elicit this big emotional response and, and get you to come down to the altar at the end of the service. Charles Finney, that theologian of past ages, that I don't necessarily support you going and watching him or reading what he said as a lot of it was produced and understood to be heretical in latter years. I don't necessarily support how he did alter calls and all the rest, but that's what he would do. He would build up a highly emotional state in order to get you to respond. Now, beloved, I want you to understand something. I hope we are always responding. In the service and if you choose to respond at the end of a service, if you have some physical movement for it, I'm not saying that's wrong I'm not against that, but if you choose to stay where you are and respond in your seat even as the service is going on beloved, that's a wonderful response, if you pull me aside after side of the service and say I just want to chat about some of these things, that's a wonderful response all of these responses can have their proper context because the thing about emotion is that we need to realize is it must never rule us I see some people in life that emotion just seems to overrule them. It seems that anger overrules every decision that they make. It means distraughtness and crying and in tears is the way that they respond to everything. There's these emotional triggers, and oftentimes if we are not careful, we let them go ahead of us. But King David is not that way. King David is all the same emotional in this psalm, but he is not letting it control him. I submit to you that that's what we need to be paying attention to this morning is that the Psalms even teach us how to respond with our emotions. That there are certain things that David is angry about and he responds with a rightful anger. He responds with a rightfulness and the attitude with with which he approaches it. We see other times that he's sad and he's trusting in God. We see other times that he opens one up. It's interesting to look at that term, mictum of David. When I was looking that one up, it's kind of special. I wouldn't have thought about it. When I read this psalm, it's much like any many of the other psalms, but when it says mictum of David, It's actually called one of the golden psalms of David and nobody really knows what it all means But they know that it's something special. We know that Psalm 16 meant something that it was a victim of David That it's one of the golden psalms of David that they would have been singing And I submit to you that there's some confusing things in here If you are an Israelite in the time that this is being written all the same, they're singing it Do you mean to tell me that you may be able to sing something that you don't know every element about? Yes I grew up raised to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that I knew nothing about. I did not know, and I was so loving last night in service. I think it was we sang Amazing Grace or one of the nights that we've been in service at Harbor Meeting. I just love the second verse of Amazing Grace because it does that for me each and every single time. Amazing, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Wait a second. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Beloved, if there had never been the grace offer that you would know how to fear, there never could have been the grace of salvation. If we were never falling under conviction, there never could have been the deliverance from that, but grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. I didn't know that when I was young. I didn't pick up on that until i have been in the way for quite some time and then finally one day I remember listening to it and ever since verse 2 has captured me, something in this psalm has captured King David, even by the title of it that we know that it is victim of David. It is a golden psalm of David. All of that to say, y'all we better be paying attention. He opens up and he says, preserve me, O God. For in thee do I put my trust. Now, we have already been reflecting on our journey through book one of the psalms together, how he opens with, he is delighting in the law of the Lord day and night. And that's the first song that Israel would have been hearing. That's the first hymn that they would have grown up hearing. I remarked this week, I was learning, somebody was trying to sing one of the first songs I ever learned how to sing. And I learned how to sing it in a youth choir. And I think the first one I ever learned actually may have been marching with the saint or when the saints go marching in that's the first one i remember but another one that i remember is uh that i'll be perfect just according to he's still working on me that's the name of the song that when we sang that song i'm like that calls back to remembrance that's one of those first ones i knew how to sing and that's what david has been doing with the psalms that's the way god has ordered the psalms is It's drawing our attention to know how to respond. And here we have seen the same note being made. He says, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. But even before he puts in thee do I put my trust, he says, preserve me. If you will notice with King David, the way that he uses that word preserve me... I don't mean just in a casual walking with him. No, I mean, Lord, I need you to preserve me. And I love the example of that many preachers have used it in a many different ways about how with their grandparents, when their mamas, their grandmamas, all these different people would be canning goods over there that at night after the, the hot liquid had been poured into these jars, that you would just hear those seals up in the cabinets as they would start popping as they would seal down. And it's rather violent when you hear it. And if you hear enough of them going off all night long, almost something that will keep you up it's almost a violent ex- example and it is this connotation with this word of preserve me is that we need to be sealed and king david is turning unto god saying there is something about me that is not good right now i don't know the situation king david is going through it does not say what king david is going through but we know that king david is saying lord preserve me oh god for in thee do i put my trust that continual call, that in this one he opens up with that note of desperation. He says in verse two, "Oh my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. His goodness is far above what we could ever think. Any goodness that we have could never extend up to God. Beloved, all the goodness of this world never compares to the goodness of God. And all of the God, goodness of God overflows what we could ever think or imagine this week. This week I've just been, I don't know, the Lord has just opened up special occasions and special moments this week of just realizations of how good God has been to me and just to think about the overwhelming love of God, the overwhelming goodness of God in my life so much. The fact that it it does, part of it makes me want to shout but most of the time I just feel so small from it, I I feel so unworthy of it and I enjoyed getting to meet uh, Brother Hunter Rowe of First Baptist Bremen the other night he was preaching for the campground and the first thing that struck me about Brother Hunter Rowe of First Baptist Bremen is how humble he is there was not a prideful there was not a prideful side of him that I observed that night, now I don't know him intimately. I'm not saying that but All that I know is when I saw him that night and the way that he moved in humility was just inspiring to see in so many ways because it's not common, especially to be a pastor of a First Baptist church. It's not common that they move in humility sometimes because, hey, they're the pastor of the big church. They're the pastor of the big church in the city. They've got all these accolades, and yet he moved in humility. I was struck by the goodness of God in that dear brother on Friday night because that is a presentation of what the gospel does to us. When we see the goodness of God, it humbles us down because we know that we could never obtain to it. We realize that we are never worthy of it. We've already been asking him in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And then we're overwhelmed with his goodness. And in verse 3 he says, But to the saints that are in the earth, and the excellent in whom is all my delight. Notice that there's not a period, but there's a semicolon there after verse 2. That same goodness that is being applied unto us is being applied unto all of God's children. Beloved, you are special in the eyes of God. But do you know that you're not that special? You are special, and yet you're not that special. Can you believe that, that contradictory statement right there? That you are so special that the goodness of God would extend unto you, but that you're not that special that God's goodness extends unto all of his youngins. Do y'all see in Psalm 78? I don't know if y'all are just able to hear some of that. I love, and Psalm seventy-eight is not the only one that doesn't. There's a number of the Psalms that basically just recount the history of Israel and how God brought them through, and that, yes, God is judging them for their wickedness sometimes, but he says that not all his wrath was poured out against them. Did y'all catch that in Psalm 78? That not all his wrath was poured out. Just a little bit of his wrath may have been poured out. Beloved, any time that I have sensed that there was any measure of the wrath of God, any correction, any rod of correction in my life from the Lord my God, it has been that his goodness overwhelms it. His goodness has always overwhelmed his judgment in my life. For his judgment in my life is always to bring me back to himself. The difficulties of life are always to bring me back to himself. I was talking with another family that has just been through the ringer for the last year and a half, two years, maybe three years really if I count it. He was just confiding in me a little bit about how the struggle of the past little while has been for them, that his family has been assaulted and assailed on every single front. And can I tell you that it doesn't look like they're doing anything wrong? Again, it's kind of that situation. I don't know them intimately. I know them pretty well, but I don't know them that intimately. I'm not not sitting in their homes. I'm not sitting at their dinner table every night and living with them in their jobs. But I know the family well enough to know that they're a pretty good family. And yet they have been assailed with all manner of difficulties, all manner of what we would call trials, and some people might would even call tribulations. And he just confided in me. He said, We've been hit hard last year. I would not say it in this way to that dear brother. But I can observe this about that family. As close as to God as that family was, somehow that family is yet closer to God. I don't understand that. I'll be real frank with you, Terry and I, we had two years. I'm looking forward get two years of marriage to one another. We hit that mark not tomorrow but the next Monday we hit two years of marriage together. And can I tell you how year one was a breeze. Year one was just it had its difficulties. Year one was a breeze. Year two on the other hand next Monday I can't get here fast enough. Can I tell you how I'm thankful for it? Because if it wasn't for my good God would not have let me to go through it. He says that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But I realize every difficult situation I'm not the only one who's had a tough year. Some of you have had a tough year. Some of you have been having a few tough years. Some of you may have just been having what you'd call a tough life at this point. I don't know. I know you all pretty well, but I don't know every little detail about you. And some of you just keep being hit and hit and hit and hit. And yet the goodness of God, we can't even extend up to it. And it overwhelms us. Beloved, both the good and the bad is still the goodness of God. Both the trials and the tribulations are the goodness of God. I knew that intellectually. But in the past year, I've learned to walk in that. And can I tell you, the problem is, I'm too much like Israel. I didn't walk in it with. Well. I walked in it with murmuring and grumbling and complaining every step of the way. Don't get me wrong. I'm so far from perfect. And yet, do you know that his goodness has just kept bringing me back to himself? So, I cannot tell you the joy that I've had, the peace that I've had in the last two weeks, just to reflect on who he is and what he has done Beloved, can I tell you that but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, it says in verse 4, their arrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. I can see this with those in the crowd that often call themselves ex-evangelicals or say that they're going through a deconstruction process, and I get that, hey, I grew up in some bad things. I grew up in some bad cultures. I grew up in some bad things, some bad approaches to the Word of God, some bad just some non-thinking, some of these different things. I grew up in some of these ways that I mourn. But deconstruction is not what I need. Maybe some reconstructing, maybe some tearing down of some things and reconstructing, rebuilding them up on the foundation which is Christ, not just the tearing down of all things. Because what I find within that movement, they call themselves the deconstructionists or the evangelicals. The cultures that they find themselves in, they begin to bow down to other gods. They begin to incorporate other worship into their lives. And beloved, we are creatures of worship inevitably. Whether we're going to a ball game and worshiping our favorite team, or whether we're worshiping sports, whether we're worshiping the activities of our children. How many parents I see doing that? That they worship at the throne of whatever sport or whatever activity. Their child is involved Beloved we are creatures that are made for worship And we will worship something And King David is remarking He's been remarking on the goodness of God But here he is in verse 4 Remarking on the sufferings And on the badness And all of the things that happens To those that walk away from God And entertain false gods And his distance from them Sometimes there needs to be A distancing of ourselves from others Sometimes we need to distance ourselves from those who have walked away. There can be something to be said for reaching out to somebody, for reaching out to somebody in love and trying to bring them back to the Lord. There is something to be said for that. But sometimes somebody has gone so far in their walk away from God, somebody has gone so far as to worship other gods that we need to do is what King David has said, and we need to separate ourselves from them, and we don't need to have any part from them with them. There's a fine line somewhere below, and I can't tell you where it is. I've had different situations to where I'd ask a pastor, and I love one in particular. He's been so kind, and he's been so gracious to me. I've talked to him about a number of problems, and he's just, in a lot of ways, he's been my pastor that I hadn't even thought about in so many ways, but a lot of controversy I've just asked this two brother about because he doesn't know me, he doesn't know the situations that goes on with us. He's an outside voice because he doesn't know the people involved. He's been a great outside voice before this and he said with fear and trembling brother that's what he'll tell me so many times he'll say with fear and trembling brother you're gonna have to work this out he said I can point you in a direction sometimes he said but well, sometimes I just gotta tell you fear and trembling beloved there's a time that we withdraw from people but there's a time that we still just keep loving them there's a time for both and I don't know how to tell you which one it is in your life. Now you might be able to give me enough details and make me able to be like yeah it might be time to separate sometimes it's evident and sometimes you just need to hear it. Beloved, sometimes we do have to withdraw. But look what he says in verse 5. He says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my come thou maintainest my lot. So if you have fear of loved ones in your life that you may have to separate from, Beloved, look how he answers even that in verse 5. What it follows is it says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. And of my cup thou maintainest my lot. He knows that God is his inheritance. He knows that God is is what he is looking forward to. He knows that every reward that he is looking forward to, it is ultimately contained in God himself. Now, he is King David. He's ruler over the throne. He has all the blessings of the Lord that you could ever imagine. He has all the worldly things that he could ever want, at least the access to them. And yet he says, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. I love how Psalm 78, do you see what it said about inheritance? Do you know that God calls his children his inheritance? That you and I, we are in his inheritance as his children. Those of us that have been born again, do y'all know that we're in the inheritance of the Lord. I love that song. I used to get Larry on it. I may mention of this, Some of y'all heard it on Wednesday night. But it was just the song that I am his, and I know that he is mine. And that just sticks with me. Because do y'all know what I know is that I know that I'm his, and I know that he is mine. What a blessed connection that that is. That King David, with all the worldly goods that he may have, he looks to God and he says, You are the portion of my inheritance and the inheritance of my cup. He says, Thou maintainest my lot. In verse 6, he continues, he says, The lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Beloved, if you couldn't see it before now, do you see that verses 5 and 6, there seems to be an attitude change? There seems to be a a presentation of his emotion that he starts out with, preserve me, O God. He's down low. He's down weak. He's down as low as he can be, knowing that he needs preservation. But by 5 and 6, he's saying, the lines are falling unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. In verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. Praise Him for the counsel that He gives us that beloved as much as I have some friends that I go to, some older brothers in the faith that I go to when I got a problem about this or I got a problem about that and I just need a little extra wisdom on, or when I consult some good old books, and there are some good books out there from some others that have walked this path before and that have some answers that we need to know about. I love the counsel of a good friend. I love the counsel of a good leader who can help point me in the direction, but sometimes it's the counsel of God himself that I need to have. Sometimes there's nobody else in this world that I can turn to other than God himself and say, God, I don't know. God, I don't know what's up ahead. I don't know what to do about this situation. And then it's just like he comes flooding into my mind with his word. He comes giving me something from his word. It amazes me. He never gives me something that's existing outside of his word. When he speaks to me, when I feel those moments of him speaking to me, it's amazing that he's always reaffirming something. I've just been reading it, it seems like seems like just somehow, somebody was just reading the book of Job this week, and somehow that begins to apply to your life. I've been reading this book of the Bible this week, and somehow God just brought that out in my time of prayer. Somehow God just did it. I like that one song. I can't even remember the name of it now, but I think we may have been singing it last night. Uh, Oh, it's victory in Jesus, and the line that it gets and how he saved me, I don't know. There's a lyric in there that I wish I could remember off the top of my head. I can't. So if y'all ask me about it later, I might find it. But he talks about it and he says, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And beloved, sometimes that's just the way it is. And I love that song because he's singing exactly the way that God did it. And yet he's saying, and yet how he did it, I don't know how. And it's like you contradict yourself there. And it's like, why would you do that? And I get hypercritical. And then I think about my own life. Sometimes I don't understand how God's going to preserve me. And then do you know what? As soon as King David is pres- crying out, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust, he's answering the realities of his own situation. He said, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Do you know that he's giving you some rain? Do you know what it is to give a horse rain? Most of y'all have ridden horses at some point or another. Sometimes you got the reins close to you when you're riding a horse. And you're wanting to control the horse. You're wanting to bring that horse back in. But my grandfather would oftentimes, when he was trying to teach us, bless you, he just had some stubborn grand youngins that didn't want to listen to him. But when he was trying to teach us how to ride horses, that's a phrase that he would say sometimes. He'd say, give them some rein. Give him some rein. That's literally what you would do. The reins of the horses, the reins that were controlled in the bridle of the horse's mouth there, the reins would give him some rein. It's amazing that horse knew what to do, but it had its reins on there. Do y'all know that you and I have reins on our life if we'll pay attention? And God's got some things on our life, and every now and then he'll give us some reins. If now and then he'll let us run a little bit faster. if now and then he'll let us run a little bit further. Every now and then we'll up from a walk, up to a trot, and up to a cancer every now and then. But sometimes something happens and he pulls back on the reins. Beloved, there's something already instilled in us. When we've been born again, we've got the Spirit guiding us and directing us. When we're about to enter into sin, have no fear. You know what's going to happen. Now, I'm not always convinced that somebody that's not born again knows every sin, but I promise you, if you have been born again and you've got the Spirit abiding in your life, I can promise you, you know when you're about to enter into sin. And sometimes God's giving you enough rain in your life to let you mess up. Sometimes He's giving you enough rain to let you really mess up. Do you know what he'll do? He's not letting his hands off those reins. He'll bring you back into himself. He'll be just like King David when he said, I will be loving God. He's asking God to pick the reins back up. He's asking God to take him back into the fold a little bit. David is assured in the word of the Lord. He is assured in what God has given him. He says in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall rest in hope. Man. He sure has changed his attitude. He starts out in desperation. But by the time that you get to verse 7 or 7, 8, and 9, boy, you got a good, you got a good King David. You got a King David that's rejoicing in his goodness. And I don't know about y'all, it's been that way that sometimes in prayer it's just desperation. But by the time I get done praying, there's so much confidence in God, there's so much reality of knowing who God is and the way that he is working in my life that I have no doubt that he's in control. And frankly, if you just ended at verse 9, we could sing glory, hallelujah, and go home, and it would be a glory, hallelujah meeting. It would have been a good meeting. But, y'all, there's some stuff we got to deal with because this is just what we do. We go through the whole thing. We're not going through part of it. So going through the whole thing, we get verse 10 and 11. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Well, thank you, God. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Wait a minute. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 10 is an interesting verse. And the fact that if it were to just say that for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, that would be interesting enough. But the fact that he says Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Is y'all's capitalized there? Is y'all's holy one capitalized there? We know that it's pointing to something more. We know that King David, when he uses this language, is no longer talking about himself. He's no longer talking about himself as the holy one. That he's not going to let the holy one see corruption. He's not going to leave him in hell, but he's not going to let his holy one see corruption. Beloved, this psalm is ultimately pointing to something else. And though, as good as it is... I've not really been understanding why this is called the golden psalm, why this is called mictum of David, why this is the golden psalm of David. But all of a sudden, in verse 10, I begin to understand it. King David is pointing to something greater. King David is pointing to something that is to come. That this his holy one is not to see corruption has not happened just yet. But it's going to happen one day. This verse is going to come into its fullness one day. There's something that's going to happen that has not happened yet. Beloved, we live in that same reality. If you'll know from Acts chapter 2 that Peter uses this in his sermon. On the day of Pentecost, when when Peter is preaching to them on his sermon on Pentecost, he's talking about the resurrection of Christ Jesus, that he hung on the cross because of their sins, because of what they did and that they were the ones that hung him on the cross. Peter's accusing them. He's saying, you're the guilty one. You're the guilty one. And yet Christ died on the cross for your sins. But hallelujah, Peter was a good and faithful preacher. He didn't stop there. He said, and yet his father raised him from the dead, and yet he had life and he picked Him back up again because God would not allow for his father. Holy one to see corruption. Peter quotes this verse in its entirety, and then Peter goes on to explain Acts chapter 2 and verse about 23 through the end of the chapter. Just go read Acts chapter 2 and see the glories of that chapter as he unfolds the blessed truth of showing us that his holy one has not seen corruption. Then verse 11, where the plane lands, that wilt shew me the path of life. In the presence, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Beloved, in Adam, we are all dead. In Adam, we don't know the path to life. But in Christ, he makes us alive. In Christ, he shows us the pathway of life. That in the early Christian church they were called followers of the way. That's the title that was given to the church. Ecclesia ultimately meant they were followers of the way. That they were followers of the way of life. And that you and I, that's what you and I get to live. We get to live in the way of life. The rest of the world is going the way of death. The way of the rest of the world is leading unto destruction and will ultimately conclude in their eternal death, in their eternal bearing of the wrath of God, in an eternal lake of fire. That's what goes when you never repent and trust in christ but for you and me we know that he will not leave our souls in hell and we know that he did not let his holy one see corruption and we know that he shows to us the path of life and we know that in his presence is the fullness of joy but just as he said he had not poured out the fullness of his wrath but here he invites us to understand that in his presence is the fullness of joy If ever there's a time that you need joy, go to the presence of God and you will be filled with it. If ever there is a time that you lack joy, go to him and he will fill you with it. He may not fill you with happiness. Now, that may not be the emotion of the day. But he may fill you with joy that is so deep-seated, so deeply rooted in your life, that though the struggle you go through seems so gloomy to anybody else, it's confidence that's marked all over you. That even sometimes when you can't see it yourself, that somebody else will see it on you. Brother, I talked to the other night, talking about his family, he was struggling. But all I can do is see God on him more. You may not be able to see it right now, but all I can do is see God on Love, Beloved, I promise you, no matter what you're going through, you know what I find is when we're going through the most, it seems to be when we trust God in the best. It just seems to be that case. When we're going through the most, that's when we trust God the best. Y'all, no, that's not wrong. We ought to be trusting him in every other season, too. That's right, but I can beat up on that point another day. I just want to say when everything's going wrong, when we start out, we have to start when we have to cry out unto him, preserve me, O oh God. When we think that we're about to perish, when we think that we're about to go through the winter season something that the fruit of the vine is not going to last, that the fruit of the season, unless it's preserved in this jar and unless it has the seal on it, as we were talking about the canning example earlier, unless we have been sealed, we know we won't survive. He'll seal you up. He'll put his seal on you. He'll mark you as his so that all the world may know that you belong to him. You will know the path of life. You will know that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And you will know that at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Y'all know who's seated on the right hand of the Father? That's Christ. Do you know that in Christ we know all the pleasures of the world? There's a lot of pleasures of the world to be known that are just junk. That are just worldliness. But beloved, there's a lot of pleasures that my God has gifted to us even in this world. In Psalm 19, we're not there yet, but it says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and His firmament showeth His handiwork. There's not a moment that you can't look around His earth if you know Him, begin to praise Him for His creation. And if you've been born again to know that in His Son, Christ Jesus, you've got the most supreme form of pleasure there is ever going to be, there ever has been, there ever will be, however many ways you want to articulate it, Jesus Christ is the fullness of our joy. Jesus Christ is the fullness of our fellowship. Jesus Christ is the fullness of our pleasure. When the words S.M. Lockridge, I just got in with, I wonder, do you know him? I wonder, do you know him into me? I wonder, unbeliever, and you clearly don't know him, I wish that you would come to know him today. But I wonder to us as believers, is there just a season of life that we need to cry out preserve me, O oh Lord? and then wind up singing his praises. I'm convinced, some of you saw it. I'll say it again as best I can remember. The more desperate for God we are in prayer, the more loud our public proclamation of him will be. Our public proclamation of praise of him will be. The more that we learn to be desperate for him in prayer, the more we will know how to publicly praise and worship him. That's very Pray you be able to take this with you as well pray you be able to take this at you on for just a little while, that he would be the supreme joy of your life, that he would be the supreme pleasure of your life. Let's go to the Lord, Father, I thank you for this blessed song. God, I feel so unworthy to proclaim any one of its truths. God, I thank you that you do preserve us. I thank you that we do put our trust in you, and that when we do, God, we just see your goodness extended ways that we're not able to conceive of, oh, God, Father begin to sing your praises, we begin to sing about what you've done in our lives. God, even if it just begins in an outward manifestation, in an inward manifestation of it, that it will manifest itself outwardly, God, that we start to sing inwardly, God, it's going to have to come out of us at some point or another. I pray that that would be true this morning, God. I pray that you open doors and open opportunities for us to tell somebody else about your goodness, to be able to tell somebody else about how you've preserved us. God, that you would just bless us with those opportunities that somebody else we would get to see come to know all about the pleasures that are in your Son, Christ Jesus, and God. And I pray that we live in them perpetually, day in and day out, God. Father, we look forward to your expected return, that just as you told David that you weren't going to leave him in hell, that you weren't going to leave him in the grave, Father, we know that in eternity we shall be gathered with you through all of eternity, in all of eternity.